Well, I came across an unusual occurrence on the way into church this morning. Uh, unusual is, is a, a calm word for what I saw. Alongside the road off of uh, Ricker, I think it was, was a, um, a family pulled over. Uh, it was a mother and father and two small children on the side of the road, and they were, they were petting a, a dead raccoon. And confused, I pulled over and got out of the car, and, and I said, what are you doing? And they said, well, I, you know, the kids saw the pretty raccoon along the side of the road, and they wanted to pet it. I said, well, the raccoon is, is dead. I've dressed my eyes to the father who ought to know better, and he said, oh, no, 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 the, the raccoon is sleeping. Look how peaceful he looks. I said, no, the raccoon's dead, and if I were you, I'd get my kid's hands off that thing because it is beginning to rot. Uh, the mother was highly insulted in the suggestion that the raccoon was dead. She saw no blood. It was just laying there calmly sleeping, very peaceful, okay? I said a couple more times, I said, ma'am, the raccoon is dead. And I left the scene with them still petting the, the dead raccoon. It may look like a sleeping raccoon, but it was dead. Pretty it was. Warm, soft, but dead. This world is not sleeping. It's dead. We're born into this world dead. Our whole mindset is wrong. And this world looks warm at times and comforting and peaceful, but it's dead. And unless you take the statements of Jesus for fact, you'll get it wrong every time. I looked up some celebrities this week because we happen to just love celebrities, don't we? We looked up uh, 16 or 18 of the most religious celebrities, and many of them were Christians, but a few of them uh, were not. And let me read to you their statements. Uh, this is from Richard Gere, who is, uh, some of you women recognize the name Richard Gere, for whatever reason. Uh, he is a practicing Tibetan Buddhist. And this is what he said in an interview with Frontline. Listen carefully to the raccoon. People often ask me what it is about His Holiness, capital H, and ultimately the only thing that I can really say is you just feel safe. This is someone, His Holiness, who wants nothing from you except for you to be happy. That's it. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your time. Wants you to be happy and knows that there is a path that, will, that you can give yourself to with courage and commitment that you will be ultimately happy. The raccoon looked very happy this, after, this morning. And then he says this, I mean not one lifetime, but maybe it'll take hundreds or millions of them to get to that happiness. But it'll happen when you encounter His holiness, you believe that. It's real. It's true. Now, he's sincere. He's not blowing smoke. He really means this. And other things begin to start to fall away. You know, the kind of egocentricity that falls away in self-consciousness, that falls away in the golden light of that feeling. 
Tina Turner, who is also a Buddhist, said this. She began practicing in the 1970s while struggling with an abusive relationship with Ike Turner. She told Artemis magazine in 2011 this. I feel that chanting for the last 35 years had opened up a door inside of me. I don't question that. I just ask who's on the other side of the door. And that's, that's my commentary. I didn't say that. And that even if I never chanted again, that door would still be there. Now listen to what she says. I feel at peace with myself. I feel happier than I have ever been. And it's not for material things. Material things make me happy, but I'm already happy before I acquire these things. I have a nature within myself that's now happy. Ladies and gentlemen, the world is dead, and they don't even know it. And they have religion that makes them happy. And the hardest people you'll ever reach with Jesus are those who are happy within their religion. Content. So I ask myself these hard questions about Jesus offering himself to the bread of life. I ask myself, he says, look, if you eat of the bread of life, you'll never thirst, you'll never hunger again. I, I read people who aren't hungry and aren't thirsty. So what did he mean by that? Let me give you a picture to help you understand. This is a picture of what is believed to be the iceberg that the Titanic hit many years ago. There it is, the infamous iceberg. Now we know that an iceberg is about 80% under the water. 10 to 20% is above the water. There's a massive, massive deal down below that. People are like icebergs. The 10 to 20% of their existence, which is conscious, is happy. They're happy with material things. They're happy with their religion. They're content with this world. But that's only 20% of their lives. When Jesus said that I am the bread of life, of eternal life. There is this massive thing inside of you called an unconscious life. It is there. Your whole being. See, the problem with Ike, I'm sorry, yeah, Ike's got problems, but the problem with Tina Turner and Richard Gere is, there's the iceberg. That's all I see. That's all I know. I'm happy. It takes a thousand lifetimes to make me, I just keep working through it. I'll get to his holiness. The problem is underneath, there's this core of death that's there that is a result of sin. Sin within the life, and his eternal destiny is ways on the, whether he comes to Jesus or not, and he'll discover a minute after, second after his death that Buddha wasn't the way. Jesus, when he saves a man, saves him at the core, and the entire deal is redeemed for all eternity. Go with me, if you will, to John chapter 6. We'll, do, we'll work our way down to verse 41. Chapter 6, verse 41. Jesus had probably the day before, offered himself as the bread of life that you do not hunger and do not thirst after. Verse 41 is a brand new crowd. There's a transition. It looks as though the flow of the passage is he's talking to the same people, but he is not. We know that because in verse 41 it says, and so the Jews. The day before, or the, earlier that day perhaps, he was with a crowd that had 
eaten the bread and followed him over to Capernaum, asking him for more bread. And he goes into this explanation that you're only after me for what you can get. I'm the bread of life. You'll never hunger. You'll never thirst. Well, word of that statement, that I am the bread of life, spread like wildfire through a small Capernaum town and got to the religious authorities in the synagogue. And they began a buzz talking about this. So verse 41 is now the religious authority in Capernaum at the synagogue. So look at verse 41 with me. So the Jews grumbled about him. I love that. People have been grumbling about religion for thousands of years. You want to grumble? Just go on the internet and grumble a little bit and everybody will grumble with you. Grumble, 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 grumble. Discussions about this doctrine and that doctrine and that theory and this theory. The verbiage is endless. Let's see Jesus' response to all that grumbling. Look at verse 41. They grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. This is their grumbling point. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Uh, Normally when a debate goes sour, if you listen carefully to an argument, there's a brick in the wall that's bad. There's There's some area in the foundation that's just not right. And if you pass over it and don't see the error, everything built on top of that is wrong. You follow me? If you listen to it Wednesday night, we're going to listen to a man's teaching on the internet for about 20 minutes, and I'm going to ask the Wednesday night crowd to pick out the errors. They'll talk real fast. They'll get to a little brick in the wall. They'll lay the brick, and they'll keep bricking it up. But if you don't see the brick that's wrong, everything above it's wrong after that point. So look at He says he's the son of Joseph. Jesus was not the son of Joseph. He was the son of God. But this is what they thought. Verse 42 says, And this is not this Joseph, the son of Mary, whose father and mother we know. How does he say that I came down from heaven? Who does he think he is? He's just a man like you and I. He's a historical figure. Listen carefully. The world thinks Jesus is a man. We know he is God. That's the difference. They don't take him serious. We take him very serious. Now, how do we come to that conclusion? By working through the facts, by working through our mental reasoning? Oswald Chambers writes this. It is impossible to prove a fact. I love what he says here. Facts have to be swallowed. And the man who swallows... The revelation facts of the Bible. See, when Jesus declared himself to be be God in the flesh, he was giving us what's called a revelation fact. A fact that you will not figure out with your common sense mind. It must be embraced by faith. Because faith is not an intellectual decision to agree with a set of facts. It is a moral decision to come to a person who claims to be God and believe in that person. I don't know about you, but I've staked everything on the Nazarene. I have staked everything on the Jewish carpenter, who I believe to be way more than a carpenter. Everything in my life is built 
on the fact of faith in what he said and who he said he was. Chambers writes this, It is impossible to prove a fact. Facts have to be swallowed. And the man who swallows revelation facts is no more of a fool than the man who swallows common sense facts on the evidence of his senses. We learn 2 plus 2 equals 4 from our teacher. We learn that Jesus is God from his own statements in the Bible. So Jesus says to those who grumble about what he has said this in verse 43, I love this, stop grumbling. Don't do that anymore. It gets you nowhere. The horizontal, person-to-person, fighting over doctrines, stop it. If you're on the internet wearing yourself out, stop wearing yourself out. You're at the water cooling, battling with whoever, quit battling. Quit grumbling, quit murmuring, quit disputing these things. But then he says this, no man can come to me unless the Father that sent me draws him. I love the the simplicity of the Bible, don't you? Share the gospel, but only those that he is drawing will come. Drawing will come. Uh, When you're hungry, nobody has to encourage you to eat. But when the Spirit of God is drawing a man... You come, you come. You can mess the you can mess the whole presentation of the gospel up. You can get all backwards, you know. And a guy comes to Jesus. I'll never forget the day that Mike Roddy got saved. Mike Roddy was in a compartment of the sh- of the ship that we were a small compartment, one big. We were having a Bible study. It's like four or five of us. Charlie Collins was teaching the Bible study, and Mike was on duty that night in that compartment. Had to be there. And so he was in the back in the shadows. We didn't even know Mike was there. And as Charlie began to share the word of God, all of a sudden I saw this huge figure from the back corner begin to emerge and start walking. Cl- and every, everything Charlie taught, he just got closer and closer. You could see the spirit of God drawing that man to Christ. And he got close to the Bible study and Charlie in his wise Winsome Way said, you know, it's very important, fellas, to share the gospel of Jesus because you never know who's listening like that fellow right there. And Mike said, I absolutely am listening. I want to know about this stuff. We didn't hogtie Mike. The Spirit of God did. No man can come to the Father. No man can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. Notice he says down in verse 45, it is, 44 says, no one can come to me lest the Father draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, <clears throat> quoting out of Isaiah 54, and they will all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned of the Father comes to me. He's really quoting a promise given to Israel during the millennial. You know that? During the millennial when Christ will return his thousand year reign, this is a promise given during that time. Jesus shows up and the kingdom of God has arrived. And God is the one who is teaching us directly. I love that, don't you? 
We lead each other to Christ as human to human, but really it's the Father drawing us to the Son. It's the Spirit of God doing a work that only He can do. Notice Jesus as He continues. Not that everyone has seen the Father, except He who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever believes has eternal life. And then that great statement in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Say it again, doesn't get any simpler than that. I'm kind of done here. I think that's all the verses we'll deal with. I'm known for my crash landings and sermons. That was about as big a crash landing as you get. (laughs) I have nice takeoffs. The ride's pretty good, but then when it's over, we're going down. (laughs) I got a couple things to tell you in closing, but I want that message, that statement to ring in your ears. If you're hungry today, it's because the Spirit of God is drawing you. In the words of A.W. Pink, if you don't have the desire, cry out to God. Cry out to God as he draws you to Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, I am, not that I will be bread for you, not that I was bread for you. I am bread right now. I am bread right now. I will always be bread to you. Bread is a very personal thing. We take it into, we swallow it. We take it into our life. We don't say a prayer and then we're saved. We cry out. I'm impressed that in the New Testament, at least in the Gospels, there's very little addressing sin directly, teaching us the doctrine of sinfulness. What I find in the Gospels, and especially in John, is Jesus proclaiming portraying, and proclaiming who he is. Because when you seek God for who He is, all of a sudden, all doctrine becomes clear and plain. All teaching about sin itself becomes clear. Because we don't know sin until we see Jesus Christ. He said this, lift me up, I will draw all men unto myself. If the Son of God be lifted up, if Christ be extolled and preached as He said He was, as the Son of God, as the bread who came down from heaven, not He who originated here, He who originated up here. When Paul preached the gospel in the book of Acts, it is said by those who were opposed to him that he is he who has turned the world upside down has come here. I suggest to you the world is upside down right now. The gospel turns it upside up. We think it's upside down, but it's really right side up. We were born upside down. We were born with no clue about God. No clue about sin. We were born like a raccoon alongside of a road, dead but looking very comfortable. Pet that raccoon all you want. Feel its warmth. Feel its fur. It's not going anywhere. It is dead. Until Jesus introduces himself to us as the bread of life, we have no life. And you may deceive yourself with your top 20% of your iceberg, happy, contented, mellow, chanting, going to hell in a handbasket because you're dead. But I can't talk you into that, can I? I can't talk you into that. I can't convince you with a thousand arguments because I'm not talking to your brain right now. 
I'm talking to your heart. I've been sharing the gospel with a, a gentleman, and he's got a thousand reasons why he shouldn't believe. And he finally got him to a point where he looked at me last week and said this, maybe I'm thinking too much. And I said, maybe you are. 